This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. All right, so welcome to another episode of Tell Me This, Season 2. Danielle and Carrie, I've told Brianne that I've totally lost track of the number of episodes, so I don't even say what episode number anymore. (laughs) It's 20-something at this point, so I am super, super excited to introduce or reintroduce uh daniel scarano and carrie miller ladies welcome back thank you thank you yeah we're, i'm so glad to have you i actually um re-listened to the podcast this morning my kids were running around getting ready for school saying are you on the podcast is that you and, yeah. and then they heard me refer to carrie miller and they're like wait there's two carrie so it was lots <laughs> of fun and confusion this morning and at the end i don't know if you remember at the end of the podcast we were talking about um, giving ourselves permission um, and just talking about sort of this notion of um, just giving ourselves grace and figuring out how to do that. And, and lots of things, lots of amazing things came up in that conversation. And it's so funny, Danielle, when I had emailed you both this morning, you had talked about also this notion of giving ourselves permission. And it was it was very timely that and you reminded us in the email that, you know, we've hit the anniversary, the one year anniversary. I don't know if I'd call it that the one year reckoning of the pandemic. I don't know if it's an anniversary or not. Um, Yeah. What would the equivalent be of like D-Day? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Like COVID day or something. I don't know. Um, And so it felt, it was a great reminder because as I read your email, I was like, yep, I, I do need to give, I actually need to give myself permission more now because I don't know about both of you and I'll, I'll toss it to you in a second. I just never imagined. It's like this weird thing. Like I never imagined that it was going to be over a year that we were going to be in this space. And at the same time, I'm also glad that I didn't know it was going to be a year (laughs) because I needed to only take one bite of that elephant one day at a time because I think I would have lost my mind. So um, yeah, so I just, I wanted to, before we dig into some other topics I have for us, I would love to hear sort of where you both are sort of in your headspace and your emotional space and how that does or doesn't relate to this notion of giving ourselves permission. So I'll let either of you start. I guess I'll start. Um, it's interesting, Carrie, that you referred to the anniversary or the time as the reckoning. Um, reckoning has been in my vocabulary this past week. I, in my email actually, it was interesting. I had wrote my comments of all these emotions that I was feeling related to 
just grappling with the past year. And then I don't know if, if where you both are, you feel this sense of transition or going back to a new normal, but I very much feel that in New York at the same time, it's this uncertainty of when that new normal will happen. So there's this sense of positivity and optimism, and this also sense of uncertainty of what that will look like. And I think for me, um, I'm in a very different headspace than I was when we recorded the last podcast. Mm. So I am, I'll say some of the, the things that I've been thinking about, and this is not going to become a Carrie squared therapy session for Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I will say that some of the things I'm thinking of is just reckoning the permission, the grace, um, and liberation. What does liberation mean? Mm. How do you kind of liberate yourself from those expectations, those uncertainty? Um, and then on the opposite side, how am I, I'm trying to kind of liberate myself from being, um, feeling stuck in some ways. So I'll leave you with that. That's where like where I'm at right now. Um, I'm Carrie Miller. I'm so excited for you to start talking because I feel like whenever I speak to the both of you, it just gives me this sense of energy. So I'll let you have at the mic, Carrie. All right. Thank you. It, it is, it's great to think about continuing a conversation across the progression of time because this was one of the reasons why I loved being an English teacher, because you can, you know, reread a book 14 times and based on what's happening around you, it, it informs the way you interpret that book, whether you read it again um, and again. I, I'd say I'm in a period of transition. And so I like that word of reckoning. There are all these wonderful things happening right now. I am 49 days away because nobody's counting, not <laughs> 49 days away from finishing coursework in a graduate program that <laughs> if you had told me five years ago that I was going to pursue, I would have been stunned. Mm. And that's incredible. I have received my first vaccine. That mm. is incredible. I am taking a work trip in the next six weeks. That is unbelievable. To the same end, yeah, this this piece of, um, Carrie, you mentioned at the beginning that you were glad that you didn't know how long it was going to be. I kind of feel like if, if we can relate this experience to a marathon, it, it's like maybe we're in mile 21, but we still have a couple of miles to go. You know, yeah. it, it's, mm -hmm. it's not like we're back at the beginning where we certainly don't want to think about the end, but but there is a lot of uncertainty right now, which, which tempers all of the good, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. It's, it's interesting. I don't know if you did it on purpose, but being at mile 21 of a marathon doesn't feel comforting because the last, <laughs> the last five miles are like the worst, right? Like you're, you're at high risk of hitting that wall that everybody talks about. So, so I don't know how I feel about that metaphor, but I, I totally get what you're saying, Carrie, for sure. Um, it is, it's such an interesting space. And the other thing I was trying to link into this conversation was we had ended sort of talking about the, the realities of what we do and what we think we should do. And Danielle, you mentioned this notion and, and we always go back to this from Brene Brown is the stories we're telling ourselves and then tying in the Nagowski women, doctor, doc, the doctors Nagowski from the burnout book 
talk about that as our attempt to close that gap, that perceived gap between what we should do and what we are doing creates that emotional exhaustion. And I feel like in a lot of ways we have been in, we have been, at least me, I can't speak for the rest of the people, but a lot of people I know, I feel like we have been in a constant cycle of trying to close that gap during the pandemic because we, we have been setting the expectations of pre-pandemic to the realities of a current pandemic. And that just doesn't work, right? Like this is, this is like a space we've never been in. So for me, I mean, I think we're going to have a lot of healing and repair to do um, because the other thing that the Nagowski women remind us of is that even when the stressor passes, the stress stays in our bodies. And I know both of you are big believers in sort of that stuff, whatever that stuff is staying in your body and in your mind long after the, the sort of threat, quote unquote threat has disappeared. And so, um, so I think personally, what that's meant for me is I've really had to, to like adopt that beginner mindset a lot this year, because every day, every hour, I feel like I'm finding myself in a, in a brand new situation, right? Some of it's familiar and I can navigate my way, but the reality is I'm like having to tap into that learner mindset or that beginner rookie mindset every day. Um, and I think for folks who aren't comfortable in that space, you know, so you have the emotional exhaustion of the, who we think we should be and who we are, and then having to adapt every day to a new environment. That's a lot of fatigue and cognitive overload. And so I think the thing I really wanted us to dig into today, and I know, you know, you're both leaders in your own right, is we, we talk and you guys have been through it. Like we teach people who are in leadership programs about leadership theory, right? I know you guys could talk all day about all the different kinds of, you know, contingent theory, um, transformative theory, like all these theories. And what I don't think we do a good job of is how do you do that work? Like we, we know what the tenants, you know, we know what the traits of, of that kind of a leader is, but how do you do that work? Because the other thing that came up for us in that conversation the last time was this stuff is awesome. Like belonging and empathy and trust. And it's also awesomely hard to do that work. <laughs> and so what I was hoping to tap into today is I was hoping for us to sort of together, I wrote down my own list, but I'd love to think about like, what is, what is an effective leader in your mind? And then sort of how, what does that look like in reality? Right? So like I just named empathy, belonging, trust. So like, where does some, like if you were teaching and working with budding leaders or leaders who have been leaders for a long time, we all have those in our world, but they want to like do better or they want to improve. Like, where do we start? Right? Like what are the characteristics and how do we do this work? So I would love, um, if you're up for it, I'd love to sort of dig into this a little bit. What do you think? Yeah. Game. Great. All right. So where do you want to start? I guess the first thing is to think about, we've mentioned, like I keep mentioning, you know, a learning identity. And I know Danielle, you talked a little bit about grace and giving yourself permission. Um, and I think along with that, you mentioned Danielle in your email, which I really loved was giving space and grace to your teams. Right. So like, not just for yourself, but also for others. I mean, what else do you think we should have sort of in that sort of package of effective leadership? 
I going to say a trait first. I think it's both a trait and an action. Mm. And before I say it, I want to be emphasized that, this, that it is a ongoing process. So it's not that you have arrived in one area mm. and then you're good. So whenever I think first of leaders, um, is the concept, and I'm going to cite comps Tonkin 2013, authentic <laughs> leadership. For me, <laughs> I know we, we I had to. We're leading into a comprehensive exam kind of a question with Carrie's question. <laughs> I had to, right? That's okay. <laughs> well, I think the, and also for anyone listening that's studying for comps, the acronym BETS, BETS, works every time with authentic <laughs> leadership. <laughs> but the S, the self-awareness piece, mm-hmm. I think is absolutely critical. Yeah. And we see it time and time again throughout leadership theory. It's not true mm-hmm. to only authentic leadership. No. I, but I really do think it's a process of really getting to know yourself first and, and how you interact and come to the world. Mm-hmm. It comes up in terms of Dr. Brene Brown's discussion on values, Mm -hmm. what values are going to be absolutely non-negotiable about how you show up to the world and how you lead. I mean, I have two quotes that are on a poster board next to my desk that I look at every morning. And one is who we are and how we lead matter. So we see that tying in between Mm -hmm. who we are as a person and how we're leading. That's Dr. Brene Brown. I believe she said it on one of her podcasts. And then she also said self-awareness and self-love matter. Mm-hmm. And to me, that just speaks volumes to how we start and, and look at leadership. And I will say, it's interesting, Carrie, that we're talking about this yesterday in my moment of reckoning, I was going to sleep. And for some reason, I just picked up Untamed um, by Glennon Doyle, which is another one of my Bibles. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one of the things I really pulled from her in my own state of reckoning was recognizing that to be alive, we're constantly in a perpetual state of revolution. And I think understanding that in terms of our self-awareness is really important. And also understanding, um, Carrie, the, as you were talking about this process of healing, um, for me, an integral part of self-awareness too, is understanding that healing happens even if we don't consciously recognize it. So how do we, moving now as leaders, moving out of this space into the new normal or whatever we're calling it, we recognize that healing has already been happening, which is now how do you harness that for ourselves and in our teams moving forward? So long-winded self-awareness. I'll stop there. And Carrie Miller, you don't have to cite anything from comps, but if you want to, you can. <laughs> the, pre- you the pressure is on for you to come up with a citation. So I put what? down, I put down self-awareness and self-love because I feel like they're different. So I put them both down, Danielle. I'm, I'm not going to cite a comprehensive exam reference, but I am going to cite a leader that I actually discovered through the work that I'm doing now, but it was like a way at the beginning about five years ago. His name is David Marquette and he has this really cool Ted talk. He was a nuclear submarine commander Mm -hmm. and he talks about this idea that has always stood out to me of giving intent rather than giving information to your team. And going back to the point that I made earlier about this revelation of, of like your capability. I think a lot of leadership 
I think there are times in leadership where you kind of surprise yourself regardless of your self-awareness. It's like, oh, I did that. I accomplished that. Or, oh, our team did that. Or, oh, I'm, I'm used to holding on to this action or to this task because I want to ease the burden of my team. But then what happens if I give it to them? And then you see that the product of, of delegating makes the outcome even better than it would have been if you had done it yourself. Mm. Um, and so that idea of giving intent, the way that he references it is that there's no way that he as a single commander on a submarine is going to know as much as empowering and giving the right amount of intent to his full team because 128 minds or whatever the number was are way better than one. You know, it's that idea of collective efficacy. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot, especially in this year of COVID, leaders being very concerned about the, per- the real burnout or exhaustion of their team. And so fear around giving, uh, around distributing, because maybe one action that I take as a leader mm-hmm. is to not, to not delegate and then that I'm easing that burden. But I think everybody is seeing the challenges that everybody is facing. And so if we can give intent rather than information, if I can say, you know, I, um, this is what we need to do. How do we do it? Rather than this is what we need to do. And let's start by X and then let's do Y and then let's do Z. And then you report back to me. Um, I I, I think that that is a, a very replicable action that as you think about your work, you can start to find that that makes your own time going back to carry, uh, I guess, Danielle, what you said about prioritizing self-love as well as self-awareness, that gives you the space to be a better version of yourself because you actually have place and space to breathe and think about what that actually is and what I, what that actually means. I'm sure there's, there's a lot to unpack in that idea, <laughs> but yeah. giving intent rather than information. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like, so as you guys were, as you ladies were talking, I wrote down four things and I think the giving intent is for me the, the part of the last piece of it. So I'm curious. So I have this idea of self-work, um, aligning self with the work you're doing. So self with team. So that gets into the core values part that you were talking about, Danielle. Empower your team to do their self-work and show up as they're set themselves, right? And the fourth one is integration, which means if you're doing your work, and aligning and you're helping empower others to do their work that what ultimately happens is integration. And I think I loved, it's so funny that you said giving intent versus information, because to me that's integration is giving intent because what you're ultimately doing is, is you're acknowledging that everybody is bringing a contribution to this space. And I'm not going to tell you how to make that contribution, but this is the goal that we have. So let's figure out how to all come together. So that notion, I love that word integration more than any word than like assimilation and collapse. I just integrate feels. And I know it comes from, I think, I feel like it was a Brene Brown that was talking about, was it integration that she gave us the Latin? Yeah. The Latin for integration was, was it, was that the word? It was integra, integra something. And it's like wholeness, whole, making you whole, I think is what she had said in a podcast I was listening to, maybe I'm making it up. I don't know. So I think that's right. That that's what she was saying. Cause she did. I know she did courage. The root of courage is cur, which is heart. So like bringing your heart and your whole heart into the space, which gives me chills. 
Um, but I think integration is about bringing your whole self also, which is very cool. And it yeah. reminds me. If all Google. else fails though, throw out Brene Brown and out of the three of us and chances are. Yeah. <laughs> it's in there. Did you look it up, Kara? I think. Yeah. I was going to say that, that Google agrees with you. All right. Awesome. So I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't far off there. That's no. so cool. Good. So I think it would be, so I would love, again, you know, you can sort of say yes, no, or, or change the path. I would love for us to start with this idea of self-work and sort of, and think about what that looks like, because I think another thing we talked about, and this is sort of giving, um, you know, Carrie and Danielle giving our, our audience sort of a taste or a trailer of what's coming in season three, because we've decided to focus on leadership in season three, which will be awesome. And so we're sort of, we're going to approach it from sort of paradoxical. And so this idea of self-work to me is this ability to hold the fact that you're coming to this table often because you have some sort of expertise, (laughs) but you're also admitting that you're a human being with a, a tough outer shell. And when you turn you over or open that shell, you have a soft underbelly. And so like, how do you as a leader do your work and tell your team that it's okay to do your work? Like Carrie, like I would love to hear more about like how that works in your office because you shared a story with us, which was your boss. I think when you first started working there was like, don't email me during your vacation or I'm going to charge you $10 every time you send me an email. So I'd love to hear more about like how that flows through the culture of your, of your work and how that shows up in your leadership. Yeah, we have a, we call it the Cicero way. And it right now, I think it's 12 tenants. At one point, I think it was 68 tenants <laughs> fluctuate wow. by size, but they're, they're, what it, what its intention is, is this blend of, of, uh, we want to be a meritocracy. And so we want to promote independent thinking, appreciating that as a culture and as a team, we're going to be stronger if every individual feels like they have a voice, regardless mm-hmm. of their role. Yeah. But then also we don't want, we don't want rabbit holes to occur. We, we, so, so what, what our team does, there's three business units. And so I'm talking about the K-12 practice area. Um, we always start a project with a brainstorm if it's possible to talk about and solidify what are the key objectives. And I love doing that with Trent, who you just referenced, because of, he, he talks about people spiking in different ways. And, and he spikes by providing great clarity to totally ambiguous problems that are meant to be solved. And so you find that person who perhaps solidifies the vision or focus for you. Absent of a person like that, um, I actually have a reference of a really intriguing article that a colleague posted about a powerful way to navigate uncertainty with values. So I'm happy to share that in a yeah. bit too. We can come back mm-hmm. to it. This is Beth Jensen out of Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so start by solidifying the purpose, like what are the objectives? Mm-hmm. And so if I can give intent to my team by saying, here's the purpose of what it is that you're going to do. Here's the audience that you're going to do it for, because we're constantly thinking about, is this internal? Is this for a teacher? Is this for a building principal? Is this for a district? Is this for a state? The, the audience varies. And then, um, and that I think helps to operationalize the, the activity as well. So purpose, audience, um, structure, what, mm-hmm. what are the parameters around the structure that we want this to be? And then timeline. The timeline, I think, is something that when I started, when I made the transition from a public K-12 teacher and leader into this work that I struggled with the most because this idea of someone saying, I want you to spend three hours on this. 
I would think, well, I'm a professional. I can sort out how much time it's going to take. But the intention of that timeline is to say like, in the grand scheme of things, which you team member might not have the full context for, here's an appropriate amount of, of time to think about this. And if you find that you're six hours in, you might not be getting the return on investment of that deeper thinking at this point. Maybe it's only appropriate to spend a couple hours on it, but then check in with me about it. If it needs more time, then let's talk about that and see, maybe you've discovered something and that's where mm -hmm. that meritocracy piece comes into play. So yeah. that's a real loose framework that I feel is a, a helpful way of giving intent so that I, in receiving that and not scrambling to try to understand what direction I'm taking, but rather I'm on a, gen on a general pathway and I know what my aim will be. Yeah, and I feel like to the extent that the project manager lives you know, even if softly by that three hour deadline or timeline, time frame, I feel like in some ways it is a nod to self-care and self-work because it's like, look, Carrie, if you've been in there for six hours, like you could be doing something else for those three hours, right? Um, the one follow-up question, and then Danielle, I, I would love for you to jump in there. The one follow-up question I have, Carrie, on that is when you think about Trent, um, you know, the boss that you mentioned, how does he show up to your business that makes you feel like there's a promotion of self-care and self-work? Like how, like when he says to you, you really need to take time off. Like that's one, that's one way to do it. But like, how does he show up in this space that makes you trust that he really legitimately means that if you could share, if you have an example? Yeah, I've got a lot. I, uh, I'm always talking about running. I'm sorry. I so always talk I, about I, Peloton, so it's okay. I know, it's true. I'm stunned that Danielle hasn't brought a Peloton yet, but there's time. There's time. I'm counting on it. Um, you know, like I, I normally run, um, I normally run the days that I'm not in the office in a non-COVID world, or I run before I get to work or after I get home. And one afternoon, this is I don't know, a year and a half ago, one afternoon, I went on a run from the office and he was walking out as I was finishing my run. And I had this moment of, you know, oh no, there he is. And he, he gave me a fist bump. He's like, did you just go on a run? And I said, yeah. He's like, how far did you go? I was like four miles or whatever it was. That's like my standard. He's like, rock on. And then that was, it. you know, so it's, it's, it's the, I think it's a modeling of, I'm going to be fully engaged and present with you, but I'm going to model my actions so that when I'm on PTO, I won't respond to email on the side. And I am going to, what is it? Cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm going yeah. to, mm -hmm. I'm going to give you positive reinforcement when I see you taking care of yourself in ways that I know are good for you and help you be your best professionally. Yeah. That's awesome. Danielle, what do you think? How does, how does like in you as a leader and leaders that you have around you, how does that look in your context with self-work and self-care? Well, it's interesting. I, I was writing a lot of notes that Carrie was saying, and um, I thought that the piece that Carrie, you talked about in terms of autonomy and audience were really important. Um, I also wrote up transparency. And as I was thinking about transparency, autonomy and audience, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, who you're giving, ultimately giving a product or a service to, um, from a leadership perspective, the the difference for me I and mean, what I see, um, how I operate effectively or when I see leaders operating effectively, it's how those qualities or characteristics are being externalized. Mm -hmm. And part of the challenge for me and my team, I think during COVID, we have a small team and we're all remote. And 
I can't speak for the rest of my team, but for, for me particularly, it's, I'm, I'm working most of the time by myself, mm-hmm. yet I'm operating within a team working towards a higher purpose. And the times that I felt most efficacious was when I was per- externalizing and providing my, my thoughts, my feedback with my team and being more proactive about it. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think that really speaks to just life in general, right? Um, Brene Brown says, clear is kind when you're giving feedback. Yeah. Um, a feedback loop with leaders is so integral to, and, uh, to assure that you're being, you're all working towards that same goal. And I think too, you know, a lot of the times when we're working by ourselves or we're working in an environment, we tell ourselves back to the Carrie B when you talked about the stories that we tell ourselves, we tell ourselves narratives all the time. Mm-hmm. And most of that narrative that we're talking about is probably subconscious and super implicit. And we're not even thinking about it until all of a sudden we hit this roadblock or the stressor. And then it turns into this spiral of God knows where you're going with it. Right. But (laughs) if we can just be a little more proactively externalizing our thought process or externalizing how we're communicating with our teams or communicating with ourselves, right. There's where we see the paradox between self-work on ourselves and self-work for our team. So I'm going to say that's really a key strategy and practice that any leader can take is externalizing Mm -hmm. literally every thought process that comes, not every, right. There's a, there's a um, boundary, a boundary to it. Right. But that's where you can kind of harness, harness, hone in on. Thank you. I'm all of a sudden my mind is making all these connections and I'm like trying to speak and think at the same time. Good. We're with you. We're right there with you how we can hone in on that transparency with ourselves and with our team. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All of those things. Um, I love that. I love this idea of sort of making it, I, I was thinking about making the learning visible, right? So I think also making this, this practice of self-care and self-awareness visible. I think when we think about leaders, uh, one recommendation I would make to either new leaders or current leaders, and I think I think it's trending this way. I think it's slow to be adopted in different spaces, but I think it's really important that leaders have coaches, mentors, someone who is outside of the team, because I think the tricky thing as a leader is as you work on your self-care and you're becoming a critical reflector, you can't do it all by yourself and you have to have a go-to person. And oftentimes, well, not oftentimes, really all the time, that go-to person can't be inside of that team. That just makes things too tricky. And so I love this idea of being able to call on that person or that, you know, Brene Brown calls them the marble jar friends, right? To be able to say, this is the story I'm telling myself. I did this the other day with a really close friend and we met and there was some difficulty going on on her end. And and I said, well, just tell me more. Tell me, tell me what's going on. And, and she told me the story and I was like, come on, like, is that the story? (laughs) Right. It's like, sometimes you need that trusted friend to say, okay, let's call a timeout and let's check in on that story. Like, where's the date, right? Like, where's the data? Where's the evidence? What, what is it really that's going on? And so after 15 minutes, you know, it still hurts and you're still feeling the things you're feeling, but you're sort of in a better space with respect to what that story is. And I think for leaders, I totally agree, you know, um, Mesero and Donald Schoen and all those wonderful people we've read about talk about the importance of critical reflection and critical reflection is also really hard. Like, you know, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've gone to the classrooms and you try to do reflection with your students and what do they do? 
I'm doing that. No one can see it on the podcast, but it's the collective eye roll, right? They're like, oh, she wants us to write in a journal, right? <laughs> like, and so sometimes to learn those skills, you need like a buddy, like a buddy system, right? And so I would recommend to a, a leader, whether actually whether you're experienced or not, I think having a trusted other, whether it's a formal coach or a mentor or that marble jar friend or a trust trust circle, whoever that is. Sometimes it's other, I know maybe Carrie, you have more experience with this than I do maybe, but maybe I, I feel like there's also within organizations like leaders have affinity groups. So leaders are talking to other leaders so that you're able to sort of just sort of generally have those conversations. So I think that would be another strategy to think about is who, who are your people that you can go to and start practicing these, these sort of making things visible and explicit. I love that concrete, that concrete solution, Carrie, because that goes back to a really interesting question that you raised in our first podcast as a triad mm. that I didn't, I've been thinking about a lot because it's a hard solution, which is essentially, I'm not going to put words into your mouth, but it was essentially what, what do you do to help someone who does not necessarily possess these attributes that we identify as the qualities of a leader. And and if if my role is to coach that individual, Mm -hmm. but perhaps they are reluctant to receive that coaching from me for whatever circumstance um, around the the scenario that we're in, what are the other avenues to promote that? And and I, I thought of, I was coming into this podcast thinking, well, it's again, that idea, like I'm going to give intent on information. So if, if I'm in a coaching role, I'm working with an organization, maybe that leader might be closed to learning, but I know that I can work with a bunch of other people in the organization and then shift the culture uh, more like grassroots from the ground yeah. up. Maybe then that leader might catch the vision or mm. see the benefit of it. However, probably much more efficient <laughs> is that idea of naming, well, hey, you and I are in this role to work together, if you don't see that I might be that individual for whatever reason, who is here who could be someone to be your sounding board or the marble jar individual? And if that's a new concept for that individual, perhaps it's helping them identify identify that person. Um, yeah. Because it's, okay. it's great when you possess the capacity to see that or know that. It's great when you have someone in an organization or you happen to be in an organization culturally that just promotes that mm-hmm. but then when when you don't necessarily have that or need to cultivate that that is that is key and i think it is especially right now you know i was thinking a lot about that that concept of burnout as well mm-hmm. i haven't yet read the the ladies that you referenced in the first, the in the first podcast. yeah thank uh-huh. you but it's on my shortlist but i did listen to an hbr podcast as dr Maslash and she talked mm-hmm. about the burnout the, scale. Yeah, exactly. And so this idea that that burnout is a phenomenon, it's not medical, but it's occupational mm-hmm. and it is a stress response, but it doesn't exist. If you're just exhausted, mm-hmm. you, it exists when you are exhausted and feeling cynical and feeling ineffective. Mm-hmm. So this, this triad and right now, aren't we all feeling a bit ineffective? Oh, Isn't yeah. COVID <laughs> oh, going, yeah. back to, going back to this place and space that we all seem to be yeah. habiting? You're not, I'm making up words too, D, but that we all happen to be living in right now. What can we do to offset that ineffectiveness? Well, let's seek out somebody to pressure test mm-hmm. the stories that we're telling ourselves, or let's seek out someone that we know and trust to help guide us through this time. Yeah, I would say to even add to that, I loved that. And I have to get that podcast from you. Carrie, um, is that we're living in a world where 
being alone is just absolutely impossible or doing the work alone is impossible. I don't think I'll ever say stay in your lane to anyone anymore from moving on Mm -hmm. because, and I don't mean stay in your lane, like just focus on what you're doing. You really need to collaborate and seek help and self-advocate and also offer help to others. There's, I don't see any instance where that could be absolutely possible. And I think bringing it back to the paradox, Carrie, that Carrie B and I always like to return to Carrie Miller. I'll just want to let you know that Carrie B and I will sometimes, I pretty sure you do this. I'll just wake up at two 30 in the morning and come up with a random paradox. So, and then we'll just go and text about (laughs) paradoxes, but the paradox of, of leading and learning Mm -hmm. and how do you hold both leading Mm -hmm. or just offering the help and also learning from others. And uh, I think that's, that really is the essential, the new normal, mm-hmm. how in order to be more proactive and really kind of combating that, those elements of burnout that you, Carrie Miller, you had talked about. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, yes, everything you're saying, I just appreciate this idea of in being ineffective, right? Cause I think the other, so like to pivot just a little bit um, about sort of these uh, traits of the leader or, or behaviors, I guess is related to this being ineffective because what I was thinking when you were saying that Carrie Miller is, so we need to look at the data, right? Like what's the evidence of being ineffective? Because what I would do immediately um, is I would challenge my colleague's premise, like "Mm, let's define effectiveness. Like what have you been able to do? Right. So let's look at the data. And I was um, listening to something the other day and um, they were talking about data, qualitative and quantitative data and talking about this idea that um, we can't let the data own us, that it, it shouldn't have power over us. It should empower us. And the other thing, and uh, my favorite Peloton trainer said this this morning when I was, you knew I was going to bring something in there, said this this morning. And she said that the data doesn't know your story, right? So the data on that dashboard of that bike or on your, um, you know, uh, Apple watch when you're running doesn't know your story. And I think to me, that's what's been critical about this pandemic. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I've, I've gotten pretty good at being patient and, and wanting to hear other people's story. I just, that's part of my mantra these days. And I think the pandemic has brought a lot of us to that space much more quickly because I, I was joking with a colleague the other day that when we get on these Zooms and before, you know, we'd spend a couple of minutes saying, hey, how you doing? And we'd all be like, fine, fine, you know, things are good. And now when someone asks that, it's like legit, how you doing, right? And so <laughs> that's one one of several elements that I hope we don't lose as we move away further and further from this pandemic, because I think, you know, we're getting to this part about, we had talked about empowering your team to do their self-work and to show up as, as themselves. I think we have to listen more, right? We have to make space. We have to make room at the table and space in our meetings for folks to share their their stories. Because even if I look at like performance data on both of you, or I look at your GPA at Hopkins, that data doesn't know your real story. And so I, it's incumbent upon me as a leader or as a guide to get to know your story. And the other cool thing that happens as we do this work, and I love wrapping this in here, is you're also starting to cultivate belonging right? Like being able to show up as yourself and feeling like you have a space in this place, which is like, so you can, as a leader, 
you know, we're all about efficiency and economies of scale and, you know, the bottom line. And what, what I'm trying to convince leaders of is that if you do this little bit of work, like you're actually doing multiple things, like you're building trust, you're building belonging. And at the same time, those people are going to leave less often. They're going to be more satisfied. They're going to be more productive. I mean, there's a whole, and then I'll shut up because I'm getting on my soapbox. There is a whole line of research in the economic discipline about trust and economic growth. And there is legit longitudinal evidence that shows in countries with low trust, if you can intervene and increase trust, you can also increase economic growth. So like, if you don't believe any of this other stuff we've just been saying, and you want to talk dollars, then go to that literature <laughs> for yeah. the trust. So on a macro to micro scale, I believe yep. it was Paul Zach, um, I'll have to pull the book and give it to you, Carrie, to share, but he um, had mentioned a study too, about just the effectiveness of just having a trusting environment on worker pr- productivity of burnout yep. of stress. And it's so obvious it would I mean, and you're right. You have to do the work. You have to front load the work first and also continue to invest in it. It's not just, okay, we're going to have a meeting and learn stories. And, um, you know, I was thinking as, as a teacher, right? Like, of course, in the beginning of the year, you're cultivating a sense of belonging. You're trying to get to know your students, you're developing these relationships, but it doesn't stop. You can't just say, okay, in November, we got to know each other. And now let's get to the real work. The real work is continuing to develop that trust, belonging and relationships. Amen. Like that is the point. That is the real work, right? Like I just had a conversation yesterday with an academic and I was saying, look, you know, all of these universities, we know how to teach and like train people to learn content. What we aren't doing explicitly is this other work that you just said, which is the identity development. And that's like the real work. So yeah. So I, I'm curious, you know, thinking about learning each other's story and, and understanding that like the data you have in front of you about a student, a colleague, an, a team member isn't giving you the full picture. Like I'll ask the same question I asked about the other, you know, the self, the self work, like how does this show up in your spaces? Like, what does it look like for you, whether it's as teachers, as leaders, as colleagues to sort of create that space to hear hear from each other, to get to know each other? What does it look like? Like what kind of strategies are being used? Hmm. Question. Can I, I stump you? No. Okay. It, it, I have 47 responses. Awesome. And so I'm, I'm winnowing in my brain. To All right, one. cool. I was like, this is a podcast. You cannot sit there wondering. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah, I'm trying to sort through what, where do I start with Got that? Got it. A loaded question. Got it. I I love, Carrie, that you brought up starting with the data, but then also being very mindful of contextualizing the data. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with potential partners right now, just as a reminder, I work as an external partner at a consulting firm, and with external potential partners who are incredibly accomplished leaders in their own right and yet they're looking at all the information that they have in front of them and they're stumped and and the conversation and and literally the phrase that I think I've heard three times in the last two weeks is I just we just don't know where to go next Mm. and and that goes back to that idea of being in this transition time and and knowing that we're going back to some semblance of normal but our normal is going to be new. There are going to be features of it that don't look anything like it used to. And as we've talked a little bit and hinted at in this podcast, we hope that there are some features of our new normal that won't look the way that it used to 
case in point, taking time for each other, taking time for story, having care. Danielle, you talked about, we can't not, in so many words, like we can't not care about each other. We can't, we can't not assist. We can't, we can't do this alone or go this alone. Um, This idea of navigating uncertainty, I want to go back to the article that I had brought, I mentioned earlier that, you know, when you have someone who's a really good thinker, it's great to talk to them. But if you don't, you know, how do you independently as a leader become a good thinker? And Beth Jensen gives this uh, analogy, and it's actually values-based decision-making, which we hinted at and talked about a bit. But that I think that would be my, that was my very long lead-in with the dots that I was connecting from our conversation into your direct question. And yeah. my answer would be, begin with values mm-hmm. and, and identify that for yourself or identify somebody who can help you, who can facilitate for you that identification process. The anac- analogy or acronym that she gives, which is really cute, it's WHOOP. And so it's, um, you know, start with the wish. What is the wish that you have? I wish mm-hmm. that our, our new future, for example, will contain authentic time and care for one another for humanity, whatever that might be. And then what is the desired outcome? What are the potential obstacles? And then what is my plan? Now, the acronym's really cute. It sounds pretty familiar, right? That we do this, but if we're doing this, because it it reminds me a little bit of like one of those PDSA cycles, right? Like plan, do, study, and then Mm -hmm. act. But if we're doing it with our values and centering the conversation around our values, I think that action can be a very tangible way to, to get at to get at where we go next and to get at what what we do with where we are now and where we want to be. That's a good point, Carrie. And I just want to insert a little piece on Whoop. Um, Whoop is actually a really amazing research based strategy. There's yep. a ton of research that supports it. Gabrielle Ettingen, O E T I N G E N, um, was one of the main researchers who came. I you know has has found a lot of research based on Whoop. Um, small story. I love her. She is just like, I met her one time at character lab with Angela Duckworth. So I always have to fangirl some researcher in this podcast other than Brene Brown. So I know I was like, Oh, here she goes. She's going to name drop another researcher. She had a (laughs) selfie with, and we're going to see it. I love it. (laughs) That's coming from a a loving and jealous place. So it's not, it's not bad. (laughs) Talk about living your values and who you are. I fully embody that. So I really appreciate the positive reinforcement. (laughs) But Carrie Miller, I wanted to also just build off. I really liked what you talked about starting with values Mm. and a story that I actually have from when I was teaching last year. Um, I had read Brene Brown's dare to lead. And, um, I actually did a values inventory with my, my group and we, I introduced the values. We defined it. We clarified values. They came up with some of their own. And then I had them vote and choose values that they wanted their classroom to look like. And one of the top values, I can't remember all, we we actually came up with three, even though Dr. Brene Brown says two, but you know, I mean, I just had had an extra one. And one of the, actually, I remember two of them now was social justice and independence. And so everything that I did as a teacher was driven based on those values and talk about whoop, talk about other strategies, even just anything from down to the classroom routine. So in the morning, I saw the students at 830 in the morning. It was actually the only class I taught that day. They knew that if their value is independence, that they had to sit down and complete 
all of their independent morning routines. I wasn't, I mean, and they're eighth graders too. So they're very independent learners, but you know, it wasn't that I had to worry about managing a classroom or managing misbehaviors. Students were coming in from homeroom. We have dress code as well. Students, students were coming in from homeroom. They were in dress code. They sat down. They knew exactly what to do because it resonated with their values. Social justice. When um, George Floyd was murdered last year, at the end of last year, we had already had conversations based on social justice and equity and systemic racism. So when that came up, it was it was something that continued to, you know, um, build off of those values that we had already talked about back in September. So I think really starting with values and creating routines, creating those strategies of wish outcome obstacle plan, right? A plan. Those are really actionable ways that you can continue to live out your values. And also, I think it also, um, I said also twice because I think this is really important. Um, <laughs> and it's being mindful about what you're prioritizing. Mm -hmm. So even on a self level, I was listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast at the beginning of this year with Hugh Jackman. Highly recommend it. They were talking about just morning routines. Hugh Jackman had said, you know, one of the things I really value is, is time with my wife and reading. So the two of us wake up in the morning, maybe an hour early we meditate together and we read a book together, whether it's the same book or a different book, they dedicate that time. Mm -hmm. And it's just being mindful about what your priorities are and now how they live out in your values. So that's really, um, I think those were really actionable strategies and practices that anyone leader or not can take in any context. Yeah, that's, I love that. I, when you, um, when both of you were talking about the whoop and the wish outcome obstacle plan, I circled obstacle um, cause I think I shared in a, in a previous podcast that I've, I'm super excited that I've started my, um, journey to become a certified coach and something I know, yay, something we learned at the end of the first class was about this idea of saboteurs. And so the idea is not only the cool thing about doing the values work to me is not only are you naming your values and putting that front and center, like st sticky noted to your, I just showed them that I had sticky noted my three values, my core values um, to my computer monitor. The other thing it does it, is it opens up all these avenues for conversation. So like the next thing out of, you know, that trusted friend, that marble jar friend, or actually a formal coach is what's keeping you from your values, right? Like then you get into this notion of like saboteurs and what's that voice in your head that's telling you, you can't be curious or you can't. And so like having that sort of, I don't know, it's like that footing or that anchor, whatever your, your visual is makes, helps you make sense of the rest of the world. Cause like, even if you're off kilter, you can check in with yourself using that critical reflection to say, I think I don't feel that well today about work because I know what my core values are. And this is what happened at work with the team member. And this doesn't align with my core values. And all of a sudden, instead of just being incredibly frustrated and upset about having an argument with that employee, you all of a sudden can put name to the situation. And that for me, that helps me to strategize, right? So now, like, instead of having that, like, swirl while I'm rocking in a corner crying and and upset, right? Like I'm like, okay, let's take a time out. These are your values. This is what happens. And this is how we get back. Um, and so I just love that you reminded us, Carrie, um, of that value work. Cause I'm, 
I am a hundred percent. I've drank the whole uh, pitcher of Kool-Aid on core values. And I want to start doing that work with my own students. Like as soon as they come through the door, cause I just think, can you imagine, I'm just going to put you guys on the spot for a second. Can you imagine, I mean, you guys have done your work, so maybe it wouldn't have been as impactful for you walking into your doctoral studies, the first, first few months and the faculty member saying, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do a mining for core values. And then the rest of the program, you had those core values there to remind you. So as you were doing your work, I don't know. I just, for me, that would have been like mind blowing to have that. I don't know. What do you think? Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Phew. All right. Good. (laughs) That was really risky because I did not know what they were going to say. And if they had said no, then I was going to have to like throw out five pieces of paper that I've been writing on. (laughs) Well, I will say it's interesting because this past couple of months, I've been really thinking about my professional work and how it related to Hopkins. And I had this aha moment about how the value that I have of courage um, really does overlap in those two spaces, um, Mm -hmm. particularly in how um, I see myself living out, not, I, I should say, how I see myself speaking out for things that really resonate with what I believe in and what I think the organization would, would, would benefit from it. So if that means disrupting mm. something that's always been that way or disrupting the status quo, I know I'm doing, I'm, I'm acting in a way that's, that's building off courage. Mm. So I think I would have come to that eventually, but it would have been really helpful to say, oh, right. Well, courage is a value that I'm wor- that I really um, want to embody that I really feel I operationalize. How is that going to play out in my Hopkins work or in my professional work? So yes, fully awesome. supportive. Woohoo! Let's go. Yay. And I love it, it. It even goes back to part of this conversation because Carrie, I, I'm putting you on the spot here for a second, but I heard you earlier give, you gave this economic, like this deep research to justify what we're discussing with the math, like with economics. Mm-hmm. And we we do that, right? I was thinking about back to comprehensive exams, the notion of um, neural leadership, right? That there have been fMRIs that have been linked to people. There's these associated now, like we can prove with science, like we can prove with math that these concepts are fantastic. And we know the brain science too. We So it, it's a, a personal story within that is, um, Uh, we facilitate professional learning a lot. And we used to, I think we've gone through this sort of evolution and and maybe we swung the pendulum one way and then we swung it too far the other way. And I think we're getting somewhat back to center now, but initially we would spend a lot of real time if we had three days of professional learning with school leadership teams to do team building activities, to Mm. do like, you know, identify which, you know, Northeast, Southwest compass, Mm. compass point you are in a group, or what does that mean about you? What does that mean about the way that your team works or, um, other, you know, feel good activities like that. The science supports that we need to actually do that because if we do connecting activities like that, we have the right amount of oxytocin in our brain that's then suppressing the cortisol, which is the stress chemical that that gets in the way of our learning. And so hopefully um, we won't feel this need to justify yeah. with economics or with math or with brain science or with whatever else that that we do need to do this because we should do this because we need to start with value set so our team now we work with this amazing group of educators in North Carolina 
And um, the work that they do always begins with telling our story because the, the stories that we tell ourselves are so important and they call it, you know, this is us covenant. And so we mm. begin with our covenant. We create a covenant. It's typically three or four statements. It takes a day and a half to get there, which feels like a long time, but this is your, this, these are your values. It's not really a long time because then, but then without that, if we skip that step, if we skip the team building or what the team building really means, we probably aren't going to get as far could. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm really just amplifying what you both have said, but just with a couple of additional connections. Oh, I love I it. I get this right, but I think that was Alfred and Lafferty 2015. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a comprehensive I exam. Like, I know it's Alfred and it's neuroleadership, but who was it? <laughs> but it's something to be said that you mentioned fMRI studies because it's seen across data of all different kinds. And, you, you know, we talked, when I talk a lot about Dr. Renee Brown, she talks a lot about grounded theory and qualitative research, but, and it's also present in quantitative studies and fMRI studies. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. You know, we don't have to keep going on the research, but it is everywhere. Yeah. And I think I, I'm getting better at this. Um, this is part of like finding your voice, right. And I'm looking at my authenticity. I think I still have a little bit in me that feels, feels like I have to bring the literature right? And economic literature, because I'm a quantitatively trained person. And at the same time, I'm trying to sort of let that go, right? That it's, it's, it is in lots of spaces. And at the same time, I think for me, it's now a yes. And which is, there are all different kinds of people out there. And like, for some people, they're going to get it because you're talking about Dr. Brene Brown, who's in the social work area. Some people are going to get it because you're talking to Mark Brackett, who's an emotional intelligence. And then you need people who are economists. So like, I'm trying to learn to use the literature to, to demonstrate that in a diversity of disciplines, it's happening, not because I'm privileging economics over sociology. Like I don't do that anymore. I used to do that. Oh God, I was so annoying when I was a, a master's of econ and PhD student. So annoying. Oh, I can't even like, if you guys had known me, you'd be, you would just, if you met that me, you'd be like, that's no way that that's Carrie. Cause I was such a quantitative snob, like li literally. <laughs> just like so. I learned something new every every day about you so there we go everything was so black and white like it was either significant or not and I had a I had a friend that sat right next to me in the like little PhD office and she was a qualitative sociology and she and I would just go back and forth I'm like you are just doing this emotional soft mushy and you know like it's just hilarious to think how far I've come so see Your we can former. all your former alter ego was yeah. Dr. Sheldon Cooper of <laughs> yeah. the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so. again, you're living out, as Glennon Doyle says, to be alive is being perpetual state of rest. We'll say that a little slower because I was so excited. To be alive <laughs> is to be in a perpetual state of revolution. So you're, you, my friend, are just the example of yep. constant evolution. There we go. And... The yeah, I really like how you talked about yes and. So I had to catch that for our listeners because yeah. for me, I think I now am seeing everything through yes and. And now totally. Karen Miller, you're going to see everything through a yes and. Yeah. And it's the little, I love Danielle, what you said. It's the little things because it's the little things that are so damn hard to do, right? And I have noticed in the last couple of years just by, because I did the same thing when I read the Dare to Lead book, I went through and sort of did my own values work and that's how I came up with the two and then I added one to it. But I noticed just by having those and being really intentional because like now I sort of 
I try really hard to walk in my truth because one of my values is authenticity. And I, I'm really good now at like staying in a conversation. And, and even if I'm feeling like emotionally something from that, whether it's empathy or anger, I like, I can manage that because I'm also curious and I, I'm like, you're curious. So ask a question. Don't, don't respond, ask a question. Right. And so those little shifts and even the yes. And cause like Brianne does the same thing, like adopting that yes. And it's, that's huge because you're no longer like binary thinker and it's an either or proposition. It's like, and oftentimes when I'm having an argument with someone, I'm like, well, why can't it be both? Like, why do we, ha- why are you making me pick? Right. So you're right. Those, those little things make a difference. So we are, we could go on listeners probably for another couple of hours. Um, but we're not because we know as educators that that gets pretty long, but I did want to unpack one more sort of aspect of leadership that we touched on in the beginning, and maybe we'll pick it up in the third installment of the, th- of the trio that we've got going on here. And the, and the reason I want to pick this up is because I'm not sure that you can do this work, these strategies that we've been talking about, unless you have this other trait, um, which is a learning or a beginner mindset. I don't know what you guys think. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let you guys lead us off. So what do you think about? So I guess the question is like, how does the learning identity fit in here? And then how does it show up when you know you're the leader, but you're trying to be a leader who demonstrates that you don't have all the answers? What do you think? I think I'll start then. I, okay. I, I, going back to the yes and, and one of the thoughts or reflections I've been journaling a lot about is this holding learner and leader and also realizing how you could fit both the perspective of experience and this perspective of the novel. And I think back to Dr. Brene Brown on a podcast said um, experience breeds perspective. So of course you're going to have some element of experience moving into a leadership position and you're going to be encountering a lot of novel new experiences. And I think this goes back to, I think a lot, all of us would agree that for leaders need to understand this constant ever, this constant continuous aspect of training and um, of learning that we're never um, back to, you know, Dr. Sarah Lewis, when she taught in, in the rise, she talks about mastery as being something that's ever continuous and never finished. And as a leader, there's, there is no outcome. I mean, of course there are perhaps accomplishments and steps that you goals and things like that, but really at the end game, you're always going to be learning towards something that's ever continuous. So mm-hmm. you ha- I think in terms of leadership, it's really important about having that self-awareness to be able to hold the leader-learner mindset and to hold the perspective of experience and new and novel and not being afraid to ask for help. So I'll leave you with that. And Carrie Miller, you were vigorously taking notes. So 
maybe you were, maybe you're just writing your thoughts, but I'm interested. I, I was, I was taking, no, I was taking notes. I just, I, I, I love that. So I kind of don't want to contribute. So we end on Danielle's words. Well, we're not going to end because I have a few things to say. So, okay, good. Okay, so sure. I'll let, I'll let Danielle have the last word if she wants to, but I want to unpack this, the three of us, and then we'll, we'll come yeah. back. So go, I always go for need it. to hear what Karen Miller has to say. So you're next. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm going to your 2.30 a.m. paradox of leading and learning, and I know that you referenced it, being the lead learner. And for the three of us, this notion of lifelong learning being, being a piece of leadership, I think it's a no-brainer. And so the place that I go to with your question, Carrie, is what do you do to invoke that sentiment for those that maybe don't have it, for those who believe that yep. leadership means I have all of the answers? But in, it, I would say for maybe those individuals that are, that are listening to this and thinking, well, maybe I don't feel like I'm yet in an environment or a culture where I can demonstrate vulnerability or I can ask questions because the current state of my culture is such that I am that person with the answer. I think the thing that that, that person listening could lean on is the notion of being an educator. That, that I'm being, I'm being my best self as a classroom teacher when I don't give my students the answers, when I give them the right questions to generate the motivation or the engagement that they need to identify solutions for themselves so that they can anchor it into their schema and, and, and remember it and retain it. And, and leadership is no different. So as an educational leader, more than any other kind of leader, potentially, we have to lean on the fact that we are educators and we are doing a service to our team by getting them to think about the work as hard as we do. Mm -hmm. Yes, to all of that. I know Danielle is snapping your fingers. You guys can't see this. So yeah, this learning identity is, is I think you bring up a good point, Carrie. It can be a tricky one, like when it works and it can work and be in, the, in those spaces where it's welcomed, it's awesome, right? Because it's it's pretty easy to show up curious with questions and, and getting into the learning to learn versus learning the right answer. It's in those spaces where the culture is a little bit tenuous in being able to show up as, as the, um, you know, the expert. And I think for me, for a long time, um, you know, in higher ed in particular, you know, faculty are often hired because they're experts in something, right? I mean, and I think that, I guess I say higher ed, but honestly, when I think about it, that's probably true in most places you're hired because you have some sort of expertise. And I think, you know, in order to, I mean, if your team is really gonna buy into, cause we started this conversation, I listed a few things and then Carrie, you jumped right into this intent versus information. And I feel like we're circling back to that because I feel like if at the end of the day, the goal is integration, right? For everybody to bring their whole self and for everybody to feel that, you know, there was a Google study and I think I've referenced it several times in podcasts. So there was a, um, I can't think of the woman's name. Um, it was the Aristotle project. And she did this huge study on Google and was trying to figure out, have you heard this, this study? She was trying to figure out what makes a high performing team at Google. And so they collected all of this data on all these different teams. And the hypothesis was, of course, that it was expertise and the number of hours you worked and what they did together and their, their college degrees or whatever. And what they actually found is that the most important qualities of these teams were psychological safety, being able to read a room emotionally. So basically Mark, Mark Brackett would tell us emotional intelligence 
And then having everybody on the team contribute in some way. It didn't mean that everybody spoke up at a meeting, but it meant if you had like a shared document up for the project, if Carrie, if you were quiet at a meeting, maybe after the meeting, you went and put a bunch of stuff in the document. Everybody had space to share. Those were the three things that kept showing up in the high performing teams. And so this idea of integration, right? Intent over information and being able to show up as yourself and to make space for people showing up. People aren't going to trust you when you say it's intent over information, unless you're somehow signaling that you don't have all the answers. Like that's, that's the part that blows my mind. Like leaders, you know, leaders will pretend or, or play the role of leader and they'll come in and they'll sort of know how to act, right? Like, well, I, I, we've got this goal. And so go do it. But if you haven't done, Carrie, as you were saying, like with the professional development, like if you haven't done the team building and the getting to know you and the discussions about this and that and your values work, they're never gonna believe you. They're gonna be like, okay, let's just wait another day. And then Carrie's gonna tell me how to do this <clears throat> and how to get that task finished, right? Like, cause you, cause you haven't modeled how to be a learner, right? So, so I agree with you, Carrie. I think it's, there's, there's so many parallels and I would love if I ever had time, I'd love to write a paper that Lord looks at learning theory and leadership theory and parallels it. Cause I think there is so, so much overlap. Like we talk about, you know, teacher leaders. Well, that just seems redundant to me because every teacher is a leader. Like don't say leader, leader, just say leader in the classroom and leaders in a boardroom. Right. Cause I feel like they're doing the same thing. And so I love the idea of bringing your sort of educator mindset to the space, because like, I definitely enter spaces now very comfortable saying, I don't, let's all get together. I don't have an answer to this. Like I'm not wedded to anything. I just know that we've been told to do A, B, and C. So let's all figure out how to do A, B, and C, right? So it is all about intent. And if you do that enough times with your students or with your team, then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, she's legit. Like she doesn't have all the answers, right? And I do that with my students. And and I will, you know, people listening are like, that is I can't do that. I'm a teacher. They, they think I know everything. Well, try it. Just I'm, I'm my call to action is to try it just once. If a student asks you a question, because I do this all the time and now I'm giving away my secrets to my former doctoral students. If a student asks me a question that maybe I only have a partial answer to my first response is to say, before I answer, what does the class think? Toss it back out to the group. And the most amazing thing happens, and this goes back to Danielle's point, which is we can't do any of this work by ourselves. Collectively, we are able to piece together a bunch of information, and that often triggers another thought in my brain that gives me a more complete answer. And so as the leader or facilitator of that discussion, what, what I can often do that maybe they can't do is I can take all of those pieces and, and summar summarize it back to them. Right. So I didn't come with the answer. I was just able to synthesize what they shared and bring it back to them. And I will challenge everybody that in the next meeting, conversation, classroom, if you don't think you know the answer, ask another question and see if you can't get to the answer together. That it's not about being right. Right. It's about getting it right. And that's what Brene Brown also reminds us of. There's nothing wrong with asking a question. Nothing. So I don't know. What do you ladies think? 
Ooh, when I talked about reckoning in the beginning of this podcast, I mean, I didn't think about, this is like a concept of reckoning forward and hmm. giving ourselves a space to really do that. And now I just feel, I feel energized in all the best ways. Thank you both. <laughs> Woohoo. Well, that's good. Yeah. I'm glad. Carrie, what do you think? I'm right there with you, Danielle. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it's funny. I, I taught French for a minute and I knew enough French to get myself into trouble. And <laughs> I learned that strategy in that, in that, in that core subject area um, initially. And I love that you brought it to leadership because it is such a concrete way of practicing. If that is an, if you're, in, if you're not in a psychologically safe culture yet, or if you perhaps, if this notion fundamentally makes you rethink the way that you should approach your leadership role. It's a great concrete way to start. And I think I'd add to it, circling back to Marquette and giving intent, not information, being very particular as a leader about when you ask that question. So he says as a nuclear submarine captain, he would never give someone the choice to like hit fire or hit launch on the rocket. That was his job and his responsibility as the leader. And so similarly, what are the parameters that you need to frame your question for your team? Like, we know that we have to X, what do you think? Rather than sky's the limit, what do you think? And then and then people are feeling perhaps disappointed because there were 17 ways to go, but you knew all along as a leader, you really wanted to go one of these three directions. So I would say, present, present what you know, and then thoughtfully decide when is that time when I'm just, I'm going to say, here's my intent. Here's how I'm giving intent. And then you figure it out and, and, and tell me what you think. Yeah. Oh, that's, I'm so glad you added that piece to it. Cause I think that's so critical. Um, and I think it, what it does also carry is it, it builds that trust, right? You're actually by also defining, cause they, in the literature, they also talk about this notion of role ambiguity and how role ambiguity can create all sorts of mistrust and confusion and low productivity. And so if you're really clear, again, clear is kind, right? I'm, Renee Brown's ears are probably ringing like crazy right now. We've like cited her a hundred times. I oh, think she popped in the zoom call yet. Yeah. Right. I wish, <laughs> um, th this whole notion of like telling your team or sharing with your team that like we're going to mess around in this sandbox and you should take risks and try these out, but it's on me to sort of tell you when we have to do that, that big thing. And so they feel a sense of protected and being safe and that you have their back, which just builds more trust, right. Among the team members, which is really great. So, so I'm going to circle us back. So can I just add you, one thing? Yes, please. I think that just popped in my mind too, is adding that skill of a leader as facilitator. We mm. talked a little bit about that in terms of how we listen and how leaders can delegate and distribute. But I think that's a really important identity that you might want to start to noodle over as leader, as facilitator. Yeah, no, that's a good one. So, so we started off this conversation talking about this idea of giving ourselves permission and, and sort of managing the emotional exhaustion that comes from the tension between the, what is and what we, the perceived should and so we embarked on this journey to think about what are the behaviors or identities or roles that we think make effective leadership in these uncertain times um, and really in, in not so uncertain times. So we talked, we mentioned learning identity, grace, self-awareness, self-love, 
um, this notion of intent versus information, and then just began to unpack that, which was awesome. And my takeaways, because I was really trying to get, I kept putting down theory to practice, theory to practice, like trying to be really tangible. And so if I were sort of creating a, a, a session for new leaders or leaders who were just looking for a reboot, right? I think the first one would be begin with values, whether you do it with a coach, whether you do it with your a group, with your with your friends, by yourself, whatever, begin with your values. We also talked a lot about making space for storytelling, that the data doesn't know our story, that it needs to be contextualized and listening and learning and asking questions and paying attention can really do a lot when you're working with these individuals and groups. Consider um, a coach, a trusted friend, an affinity group of leaders where, as Danielle reminded us, really being explicit about this reflection and processing, making that learning visible, being willing to sort of be vulnerable and courageous, but in a safe sort of familiar space because it's other leaders or a coach who, who would have your back in that instance. Certainly um, practicing intent over information. So as you're looking at sort of the, the aims or the goals for your team, you know, really being able to message those goals and not get so burdened with what they're going to do specifically, at least give your team a chance to sort of ideate on how they might go about it. Perhaps you give them some feedback and they, they tweak it a little bit, but focus on intent. Um, and we really also landed on this idea of asking questions to stay curious. Um, and that really plays into being a learner, a beginner, ha having that beginner mindset, a curious, uh, person, the learning leader that we talked about. And I just wanted to, there's sort of an asterisk by that one, which is to just make sure the timing in that one is, is, is well sort of thought out. The final one that I think we all came to, and I think we might have to unpack um, later is this notion that as a leader, you do have some responsibilities that while you are a collaborator and empowering others, you also have a clear role to play. And that role could be you know, reaching out to the client with the final decision on a budget, for example, it could be more life-threatening if you're sort of a, you said he was a nuclear, what was it submarine called? Commander. Yeah. A nuclear submarine commander. So that gets like really sort of high, high risk sort of decisions. The other thing for which you are uh, responsible is to be that facilitator. As you're hearing stories and taking in the information and listening to different people's ideas, you have to be an active listener. You have to be paying attention to be able to draw in, you know, what Danielle is offering, what Carrie is offering, and bringing that in um, to that to that goal and, and to that project, or to be able to distribute. Right? You know, oh yeah, on the last project, Carrie was so good at presenting that pitch to this client. Maybe that that'll be her role here. So being able to both synthesize to bring a project together, but also to distribute and allocate resources. So, so I think we have started to build this awesome playbook <laughs> of strategies. And I imagine at some point, I'm crossing my fingers, you can't see. At some point, I imagine after this pandemic, maybe we'll take this show on the road and try to go to a conference. Um, the three of us could actually get together. And I don't know, I feel like there's a presentation that we could build out of this that could be really fun to try out. So um, yeah, it's, I, I wasn't in, in an, a weird emotional headspace, Danielle, but it was like, as Carrie Miller said, it was the end of the day, like different time for the podcast. And I was feeling a little tired, 
but now I'm going to get off this podcast and I'm going to be like running around the house dancing because this has been once again, absolutely fantastic. And I can't thank you both enough for giving me, oh my gosh, an hour and a half of your time in this busy, busy world. So um, much gratitude to both of you. We appreciate you. I mean, this is big Friday energy. I'm probably going to go dance around too. To, I mean, <laughs> unpack everything. Yeah. 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 Thank yeah. You both. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to let this one percolate for a while, let the audience sit with it for a while, but I feel like not a, but, and I feel like there's something else that's going to come out of this for, I think, I feel like we have to do one more installation before we hit the summer break. Um, because the podcast will conclude, um, early May and we'll take the summer off to get ready for the, the fall launch. So I think there's one more installation of this that we might have in, in us. So we'll take some time and think about it and I'll re-listen to it. Maybe that'll inspire me with some ideas. So I'm all good. Right. That sounds amazing. All and right, so also I thank you to you both. Uh, this is always an honor to me and humbling. I think the one thing you forgot, Carrie, is that conference. I think it was Hawaii. Oh my gosh, that's my dog. <laughs> Your dog is so excited about Hawaii. <laughs> these anticipated interruptions that didn't happen now yeah. in the last three seconds um the thing you missed is that conference is going to be in hawaii i think uh, or some other other tropical destinations so okay let's throw that into the visioning mix that sounds right. hey if we're gonna if we're gonna aspire let's aspire for something awesome like that so yeah it it was a great pleasure to be with both of you thanks to all of our listeners who stayed with us for, I don't know if it's been an hour and 20 minutes or hour and 15 minutes. It's a long one. So hope everybody enjoyed it. Please stay safe. Even if you're vaccinated, please keep wearing that mask. We want to get through this pandemic sooner rather than later. So, all right, Danielle and Carrie, take care and thank you again so much. Much gratitude. Thank you. Um, yeah. Your last year. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.